Hey, Brian's before we start, friend of the show and also friend, Rochelle Kopp, is doing something important we wanted to share with you. Work has started in Yoyogi Park on a project to build a public viewing site for the 2020 Olympics. Remember them? Which would have been upsetting enough simply because they're doing a lot of damage to one of the best things about Tokyo, beautiful drinking spots. Uh, but it's even worse because due to the pandemic, uh, all the things they're building are totally pointless, even if the Olympics goes forward. Which it won't. There won't be any public gatherings that would require this space, or at least there shouldn't be. So Rochelle has started a multilingual petition calling to stop the work in progress and abandon the presumably lucrative for someone project, which we wanted to let you know about. There's a link in the show notes and on our Twitter. If you haven't done so yet, please add your name to the petition and send Rochelle a thank you message. Because honestly, as much as we like to take the piss on this show, we do love and care about Japan and the people who live there. And sometimes it's important to set aside our commitment to making a show full of dumb jokes and act with integrity in the face of brazen idiocy. So with that, Bobby, if you would. Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at japanbyrivercruise.com and due to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. Today's platinum level sponsor is... Uh, it's, it's Densa with a message about the Yoyogi Tokyo Olympic Live site. Hell. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Ollie Horn. And joining us this week is Dr. Thomas Bodinet, author of the forthcoming book Regimes of Desire, Young Gay Men, Media, and Masculinity in Tokyo, and the only lecturer at Macquarie University to have been accused of taking unfair advantage of his faculty pass on the Lane Cove River Lunch Buffet Cruise. Thomas, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. On this week's show, we'll talk to Tom about how male homosexuality is portrayed in the Japanese media and how that affects the acceptance or lack of acceptance of different kinds of gay identities, even in Japan's most famous gay town. And this week, we've got our first ever JBRC drinking game. If you'd like to play, just take a drink every time Ollie or I bend over backwards in an unnecessary attempt to prove that we're comfortable with our own sexuality. Whoever bends over most is bottom. Drink. Plus, Ollie's got your weekly River Cruise recommendation. Ollie? <laughs> yes, Bobby. This week, I'll be recommending River Cruises where you can enjoy a live show from one of the River Safety Awareness burlesque troops in Osaka. Plus, spring and early summer brings a variety of pride celebrations all over the world, and Japan is no different. We'll try to predict which of the Pride Regatta river boats will make an LDP politician tweet something bigoted. But first, Soap Talk. <laughs> Brian. Brian here. Uh, what is going on with you? Uh... Thanks, Brian. Dr. Thomas, we enjoyed your tweet earlier in the month where you tweeted the uh, the problem of cool Japan uh, meme, uh, which was basically... How do you pronounce it? Weebo? Weeboo? Weeaboo. Weeaboo. Okay. Where, where basically you were... Um, in my view, potentially creating career sabotage, because I imagine 80% of the people who sign up for undergraduate Japanese courses uh, at least start like this. Uh, people who come what may uh, uh, think that J Japan has done no wrong. I 
will also add myself to that list, actually, um, sadly. Um, <laughs> though I repent now, um, knowing better and having learned a lot more from many of my fantastic teachers. But yes, yes, it was... You know, I did get some heat, actually, from some people on Twitter who weren't happy about me kind of taking the piss of the weeaboo. But I do it with love. I do it with love. Um, well, I mean, for, first things first, you tweeted it out with, uh, I hope the students don't hate me forever for teaching and problem problematizing weeaboos. And you tweeted this little graphic with the problem of cool Japan with uh, a super otaku looking... Is this is this a caricature of uh, of Devito? <laughs> it's, it's, it's very Arduino Devito looking. I think that it was actually a um, a parody of a character from Adventure Time because it had that that kind of cat. It hat. does. It looks like yeah, Finn it too. It does. Um, but no, I'm not. I I don't think that it was a Devito pun. Um, but no, my students actually were much more receptive than I expected them to be. Um, some some were a little bit kind of like, oh, I don't know, Sensei. I've always thought that it's kind of cool to be, um, I've always wanted to be like a Japanese person or I've, I've always wanted to have a Japanese girlfriend, the two kind of classic weeaboo tics. Uh. Um, and, you know, I said to them, it's okay to like Japan, but I want you to realize that the Cool Japan initiative and the, the spread of Japanese popular culture um, has also kind of managed to sneak in some really problematic representations of the world and what i want you to do is just be a little bit reflexive about when you're kind of at your next anime convention and think you know maybe there's another japan out there that is a bit divorced from naruto this reminds me of um a youtube video i did forever ago where i mentioned being married to a japanese woman and i got a comment on the video that said oh that's so great that your wife is japanese my future wife is japanese too and i was like oh congratulations when are you getting married and they were like no no haven't met yet i just know that <laughs> i'm gonna pick a japanese one you know i often get asked if my partner is japanese and i would first of all say i'm sadly single but then I, I think it's really weird and my students always assume oh, oh is your partner Japanese sensei and I'm like after having studied Japanese gay men for seven years the firm answer is no way in hell um so <laughs> really I, I has it actually put you off it did put me off um and and not 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 so much the people, but the the kind of uh, culture that they've come from, the the spaces. I, I spent every night in Nichome for a very, very long time, and I can tell you that puts you off Japanese gay kind of culture very quickly. I can tell you now. So, so let's just kind of try to be clear. Are, are you saying people raised in the Japanese culture with the Japanese mindset or, or people of Japanese ancestry? I mean... Because I... I know, like, uh, like there's a huge thing on on Grinder where people will write like no Asians, oh, and it's I mean, super problematic. If, if I'm being honest, if I met the right person in Japan, of course I would happily date them. But when I when I say this rather tongue in cheek to my students, what I'm trying to get them to think about is that just because I study or teach Japanese studies, it doesn't necessarily mean that I am only exclusively attracted to Japanese people. And I'm trying right. to problematize that sort of thinking um, because I think that, I mean, I, I've lost count of the students who've said to me, oh, I'm studying Japanese because I want a Japanese girlfriend. And I'm like, that's great. But what about other reasons? 
Um, and yeah. this kind of fetishization of Japan for Japan's sake has always been something mm-hmm. that I've been concerned by. It does seem like a very odd way to find a wife, though. To enroll yeah. in an undergraduate course. I mean, they've never said they want a wife. They just want a girlfriend. Um, okay. Look, I mean, they're looking. They're looking to learn the language in in order to to kind of meet their ideal, you know, partner, which I think is great um, and more power to them. But it is, yeah, a bit of a weird choice. Um, and most of my students aren't doing it. It's just one or two, um, and. Look, I'm thinking also it's this idea that they're not necessarily looking for a wife. They're looking for a waifu, right? The the kind of fetishized right. kind of anime girlfriend. Submissive yeah. Japanese yeah. Yeah. will take care of you, wife. Mm. So um, you've already kind of broached this idea of, um, of gay culture in Japan mm-hmm. uh, and some of the negative things that you experienced with it, which I think is a, a big subject in your book and something that we want to get into in the news. But before we jump into that, we have some people to thank for coffees this week. Yes, we need to thank Claire. Thank you very much, Claire, for buying your Gateway Coffee. One single coffee. We hope the next time you interact with our Buy Me A Coffee page, we also give you some stickers. like Just like <laughs> Ryan did. Ryan bought one of the boys' package uh, where he bought all of them. Oh, every single bit of merch we have. So thank you very much, Ryan, uh, who said, I didn't realize I needed this podcast so much. We did. <laughs> we did yeah. we did we've been sitting here going when is ryan gonna realize uh ryan <laughs> ryan's last name starts with the b by the way which makes him b ryan there he's, we go he's one letter off one of the boys and one of the brains thank you very much if you'd like to join claire and ryan in supporting the show and getting some juicy merch sent to you uh, then you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash japan by river cruise bobby judo let's take a look at the news Judo, what's in the news this week? Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Yes, uh, it is not technically Pride Week in Japan anymore, but um, honestly, uh, we've been following you on Twitter for a while now, Tom, and uh, really interested in your new book, and we, w- we were looking for any excuse to have you on. And Pride seems like a great excuse. Pride's always a great excuse to, you know, celebrate <laughs> and be proud, of course. <laughs> So you've got you've got this new book on the way out. You can pre-order it now. It's called uh, Regimes of Desire, uh, Young Gay Men, Media and Masculinity in Tokyo. And you've developed, I'm sorry, you've dedicated a lot of time to studying this, doing a lot of field interviews on this. Mm-hmm. Um, first things first, I wanted to ask, uh, what did you set out to look at with your book and why? That's actually a really interesting question because what I set out to look at when I began the project and what the book became are radically <laughs> different. I went. It sounds really basic yeah, and dumb, but it's actually a really interesting question. Yep. So I, <laughs> I, I went to Japan during my PhD fieldwork because I really wanted to understand how young gay men, so men in their twenties, living in Tokyo, would mm. use media that has been produced for and by a gay male audience in order to make sense of their positioning in the world and to kind of Mm. deal with or make sense of the extremely patriarchal and heteronormative society that is contemporary Japan. 
as well as mm. to respond to the fact that Japanese mainstream media doesn't have the most um, positive representation of same-sex desiring people, um, even though we've seen some changes in that recently. So that's what I set out to do. And I went into Nichome, Shinjuku Nichome, which I knew from both personal experience back during my wayward youth and、um, from my scholarly research, was the place where young people, gay men, would gather in Tokyo looking for a good time and looking for a community to support themselves. I knew that it was the kind of most prominent gay town in Japan. They call it a gay nomachi, filled with gay bars.、Um, one of my colleagues has estimated there's almost 400 gay bars in Nichome alone. And I went in with this naive expectation that I was going to learn about how fantastic Nichome was and what a you know emancipatory space it was. And on the surface, that was the first narrative that I uncovered when I started interviewing men in bars and started talking to people in the streets and, and kind of learning about how the space functioned. But as I spent more time interacting with people. And developed kind of rapport with a particular group of young men who eventually emerged as my principal informants, and I build my whole book around the experiences of four specific individuals, actually.、Mm. Um, and what I started to learn was that behind Nichome there was a bit of a dark side, and that the space wasn't as emancipatory or wasn't as Nice, even as what I had been initially led to believe. You said that your book focuses on kind of a contemporary Japan、mm. with all of its problems of misogyny and patriarchy. Is that to suggest that that gay men form a a subset of the patriarchy, or are complicit, or are affected by it? Um. Well, I mean, so so my my argument is that. Japan's heteronormativity, so the privileging of the compulsory nature of heterosexuality and its structuring into everyday life, and its privileging of patriarchal kind of structures, the family, the 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 kind of focus on on the father and the father figure as representative of、uh, the kind of nation state itself, obviously affects gay men because gay men fail to live up to the Ideas of what it means to be a good man in Japan, the hegemonic、right. man、okay. in Japan. So there's this idea. One of the regimes of desire that my book explores is this hegemonic idea. What、um, Japanese gay activist and scholar Fushimi Noriaki calls the hetero system. So the hetero system. I understand that word. <laughs> Which is a system of sexual duality that assumes that there are two static genders, male and female, and that they have a specific static relationship in which the male actively desires the female, and the female is passively desired by the male, and that these are matched、mm. onto the body, and that desire operates through this very gender binary term. In Japan, gay men have. Traditionally, been assumed or understood as being women trapped in men's bodies because they are men who desire other men, and it doesn't necessarily work within this hetero system. This very rigid understanding of kind of the hetero patriarchal nature of Japanese society. So, one of my informants would say that 
gay men in Japan are failed men, otoko shikaku, um, quoting the, the famous book um, Ningen Shikaku by Osamu Dasai in that, that quote, mm-hmm. saying that gay men fail to live up to these ideals. And that is how they're disadvantaged by patriarchy. That is how they're disadvantaged by heteronormativity. I see. So in terms of gay representation in the media, I've always kind of thought and talked about in other places that the overwhelming majority of of male homosexuality portrayed in the media is exactly as you just described you know a woman trapped in a man's body it's it's oneke it's okama yeah. and there's this conflation between um be, between being transgender yeah. and being gay yeah. and like you said the traditional understanding is is a woman trapped in a man's body but if there's this idea that that's the prevalent media representation then does that mean that the most popular or kind of the predominant performance of gayness in japan and its gay culture is femininity so the exact opposite is true so what we have is that within japan's gay subculture media in response to the that that kind of positioning this almost transgendered positioning of same-sex desiring men um, the idea that they're women trapped in male bodies. Japan's gay media has a long history since the post-war period, so the 50s right up until the present day, of reacting against that stereotype and pushing forward a narrative of hypermasculinity. So we can see this um, emerging, as I said, in the 50s, but it continues right up until the present day that most Japanese gay male media pushes a narrative of desirability is inherently built around hyper-masculine, hyper-rough, hyper-hegemonic um, forms of masculinity. So in other words, in order to fight back against the media's portrayal of uh, same-sex desiring men through this kind of feminized or transgendered lens, they appropriate the stereotypes of masculinity that exist within society and then ramp them up a notch and then sell that to gay consumers as this is your emancipatory ideal. And whilst superficially that sounds like a very emancipatory and good thing, what my book identifies is that that's also causing all sorts of damage to young right, men. Right, because you'll never get strong enough. You'll never get masculine. Well, I mean, I, I'm but, not. I mean, obviously, everyone listening isn't going to be looking at me, but I have no hope in hell to have, like, you know, washboard abs and, like, a massive chest because um, I'm much too pudgy. I'm an academic. I sit in front of a computer all day. <laughs> I don't have the time or the energy. Um, but, you know, it, it's also the idea that what if your desire doesn't conform to that? So what really motivated my work was meeting young gay men who had come to Nichome to find a space of support and escape because mainstream society didn't give them a representation that helped them and then finding that the the representations in gay media and the way that Shinjuku Nichome promoted certain kinds of desires as normative also didn't help them because they weren't able to align themselves with those desires, nor did they want to. And then they lost their agency and then they became confused. 
It reminds me of this idea of kind of like being so woke that you go back around to being not woke. This idea that, you know, in reaction to ex to being expected to be feminine, they have to perform this ultra-toxic masculinity could lead to a situation where they're like, dude, I'm the gayest here. I banged so many women last week. <laughs> <laughs> it's what was really fascinating to me. Um, was the way in which I would I would interview, as I said, young gay men, and I was doing field work just to provide some historical context from 2012 to 2017. That was the period of time that I was traveling to Nichome back mm. and forth, um, including a long stretch of field work in 2013 that was the majority of my data. And um, what was kind of said to me at one point in time by a few people was that Nichome was the site in Japan where real masculinity could be found. And they actually would say this fantastic kind of metaphor of Japan being, they used to say it was cursed by the beautiful boy, Bishonen no Noroi. And they were talking about the fact that um, Japanese society was losing out on some of its kind of traditional manliness and that gay culture was kind of recuperating that in, in some way, shape or form. So I, I've always been, as a, as a critical gender theorist and a queer theorist, so a radical queer theorist. Um, so what does, the, what does that last one mean? Radical queer theorist? Radical queer theory is the idea of challenging norms. So the idea that through our scholarship and our politics, we look at what is considered common sense and reveal the inherent um, problem within it. That's what comedians do. I can get on board with this. Being Making jokes is a radical queer act. Um, it is 100% yes! a radical queer Bobby, act. We're a radical queer podcast. Yes. I love I mean, it. Exactly right. So, <laughs> so we, sh we should amend that and say we are a mediocre radical queer podcast. <laughs> So what what I mean is that I'm I'm concerned by anything that leads to the creation of norms and that's why in my book I use the metaphor of a regime because a regime is a system of control right and what I was really increasingly concerned by as I saw um you know what I would call real psychological damage being caused to people that I was interviewing who who they were being sold this fantasy of you know washboard abs and mainstream stereotypical masculinity as a kind of cure-all for the fact that society discriminates against same-sex desiring people but then being unable to align with that the fantasy fell apart. It was causing harm. I'd be annoyed. If, if I was told the answer to all my problems is I just have to go to the gym forever and I go to the gym forever, then I've still got the problems. I'd be livid. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's also, um, as I said, the idea that it became to the state... In my, my book, I argue that in, in Japan's gay media landscape, so I, I've looked at pornography, I've looked at dating sites, I've looked at advertising in Nichome. What else have I looked at? Manga comics... Um, magazines, all sorts of media that makes this rich tapestry, but everything is all about pushing hegemonic, normative ideas of masculinity. And it's all about norms. It's about aligning with norms. And the reason why that's concerning is because human desire and human experience is inherently messy. So trying to compartmentalize that into one particular particular narrative is great for the people who who align with that narrative but then the people who align with that narrative have all sorts of power within the system and this leads to you know people who are the hot shits in in the bars get all the guys and then everyone else doesn't and 
as I said, that causes psychic damage to people. I, mm. I had informants, um, one of my informants in particular, um, he he w- went through some really tough times. Um, and if you're interested to learn more, you can buy my book and read about his very sad, tragic life. Um, but he, he, he had some... <laughs> That's the worst plug ever. <laughs> he <laughs> sounded so happy saying it. Because it's, I mean, because unfortunately my book isn't necessarily a happy one because it's mm. this idea that w- when I went to this space that was supposedly emancipatory and then I found out for many people, many, many, many people, it wasn't emancipatory then that kind of unlocked a, a, a real desire in me um, to, to write about the politics of desire because I want there to be spaces in, in Japan where people who are disenfranchised can come together and support each other equally with tolerance mm. and respect. And unfortunately, you know, if you go and party in Nichome every now and then, you won't see it. But if you're really kind of immersing yourself in it like I did, then then you see some... I mean, this isn't just about masculinity. I also saw... Um, I also write about and saw instances of xenophobia and racism as well that was quite concerning. Mm, mm. Something that I've not quite understood about Japan is where the homophobia comes from, or rather which narrative it's viewed through. Because certainly in the UK, there's been a huge gay acceptance movement, and now... Uh, you know, the, the, the fact that gay marriage was legalized, the fact that, uh, you know, g- generally speaking, the vast majority of the population don't harbor homophobic sentiment, nevertheless is up against some very, very strong sentiment. But that tends to come now from with a, a certain religious bent. Mm. And I don't know much about America, but I think that's probably kind of true, too. I think if, I'd say religious, if someone's at, yeah. Yeah, out and out going, whereas Japan, one of the things that I quite like about Japan is that there isn't... Uh, religion shaping societal norms in the same way that that happens in the West. Yeah, no, I want to correct that. I I, I changed my mind. I think that the majority of homophobia in the U.S. comes from really wanting to suck a dick. (laughs) 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 I think that's that's probably probably true. (laughs) Uh, But but in Japan, perhaps, I mean, I, I just don't know, but perhaps the homophobia must come from somewhere else if it's not religion where does it come from the answer is because of the west oh yeah once i was about to say once again the europeans have dirtied things with their mucky little fingers so yeah it 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 comes from the history of japan's modernization in the 19th century the importation of western medical science and western understandings of sex um papa freud being translated into into um, Japanese and introducing his model of sec- psychosexual development, all of that has led to heteronormativity, erasing Japan's long history of queerness. So we, we've been the problem. Could we also potentially be the solution? Could the pro-LGBT movements from the West be well translated into Japanese culture? I mean, that's been happening for several centuries already. So... Um, Centuries? Yeah, yeah. I mean, when the uh, Christians down in Nagasaki were writing their anti-kind um, of homoerotic polemics, the Japanese were writing back saying, no, you're the weird ones. That was that, There was a long tradition of that. Japan advocates for itself, and there's been a long history of, of activism on behalf of sexual minorities that has predated the um, kind of gay rights, gay and lesbian rights movement of the of the United States, for instance. And yes, 
of course, now in a globalizing world, everyone's kind of connected. But I, I think that the Japanese are doing and the Japanese activists are doing a fairly good job of pushing back themselves, if that makes sense. Mm. So how can we still take credit for it? <laughs> I mean, you colonize, <laughs> which, is what, which is what we're all very good at doing, um, I say, as the Australian living on stolen land. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, there, there's a lot of solidarities being built and I think that that's really important and crucial. But one of the things that I do get a bit frustrated by sometimes um, is seeing kind of expat LGBTQ people in, in kind of Japan trying to kind of fix Japan, quote unquote. Mm. Japan can deal with its own problems competently itself. doesn't need to have a white saviour come in on their white horse to save the place. I don't know, hot guy on a white horse? It's not a bad start to a porno. Drink. Hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 85 of Japan by River Cruise. If you've enjoyed the show, then we have a mailing list. You can sign up at japanbyrivercruise.com and every month we spam you with some bonus bits. Thank you to our guest this week, Tom Bodinet. This is going to be another one of those weeks where the extras alone will be worth signing up for a membership. Tom, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And if any of you, if Brian is interested in uh, my book, it is available for pre-order from the University of Michigan Press. It will be out in October where you can hear about more of what I've been talking about today. Thank you very much. And we will see you next week.